from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. If you're following on the Pew Bible, that would be page 1029. Revelation 2, 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches who know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when the earthen pots are broken to pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dan. Good morning. Well, if you're new or visiting with us, uh, we're so glad that you're here. You're catching us uh, in the middle of a short series in the book of Revelation. We've been uh, sort of studying, working our way through Jesus's letters to the seven churches. Uh, we've, we've been studying these letters to the, to the churches. So far, we've been to, to Ephesus and Smyrna. Last week, we were in Pergamum. Uh, this week, we're going to be visiting the little church of Thyatira. Uh, Maybe you know this, but uh, of all the churches in all the cities that Jesus writes to, Thyatira was the least known, least important, and maybe uh, the least remarkable of all the cities. And yet, the letter that we're about to unpack together is the longest of all the letters. See, Thyatira may have been small in the world's eyes, but this church mattered deeply to Jesus. We may be small in the world's eyes, but Trinity, we matter deeply to Jesus. We're we're precious in his sight, and this this letter is in our Bibles for our good. So we're going to unpack this letter together. That was not part of the sermon. That was bonus. We're just going to, we're going to get into it now. So picture this, uh, you're, you're a traveler, you're making your way through a barren, formidable wasteland of some uh, never-ending desert, like the Sahara or, or the Arabian Desert or something like that. You're out of water, uh, you're exhausted, the heat is excruciating, you're wilting away after crawling and clawing your way through miles of this forsaken wilderness, 
you see this in the distance. Your brain can, can hardly process what your eyes are seeing. So you get, you get low, you start squinting, trying to get a better look at it. Could this be what I think it is? At this point, you're desperate. I mean, this has to be what you think it is. So you pull together every bit of strength that you have left, and you start stumbling your way toward the unmistakable blue glow of what looks to be an oasis. With every step, you picture how refreshing it would be to jump into that pool of water, what it would feel like for that crisp water to hit your parched lips and quench your thirst. In this story, the water is cool and it is filtered, okay? Uh, We all know what happens next. You finally get to where you envision this oasis being, only to find out that it never existed in the first place. That was no oasis. That was a mirage. Here's the thing about a mirage. Uh, it, It holds out the promise of renewal. It holds out this promise of refreshment. Holds out the hope of life, but it is all an illusion. It can never make good on what it promises. It can only lead you to ruin. We're going to see this morning that for, for the little church of Thyatira, a promise was being held out. The promise, the hope of life. It sounded something like this. You can, Christian, you can have Christ and you can have compromise. You can have Christ and compromise. But what Jesus wants us to see this morning is that that is an illusion. It's a mirage, and it will only lead you to ruin. We can have Christ, or we can compromise. The choice was Thyatira's, and the choice is ours, too. So we're going we're gonna to dig into this letter together. Before we do that, uh, we're going to talk a bit about... Thyatira, the city, uh, just to get a little bit of context. Like I mentioned earlier, this this city of Thyatira, which was about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum, was considered the least known, least important, uh, least remarkable of all the cities. Little is is really known about this city, but what we do know is that it, it was a busy, bustling, manufacturing city. Thyatira was known for its sort of its extensive network of these things called uh, trade guilds. Uh, trade guilds were, were like uh, associations made up of all kinds of, of different laborers, sort of like our, our labor unions today. There were guilds for uh, wool dealers and, and potters, linen weavers and tanners, Leather workers and and coppersmiths, lots and lots of guilds. Thyatira was the city that worked. And that's significant. We're going to come back to that in a minute. You should know that if if you wanted to sort of live, make a living and work in Thyatira, you would have had to sort of hitch your wagon to one of these trade guilds. But hitching your wagon to a trade guild came with a price tag. It meant that, that whatever the trade guild promoted, you promoted too. 
And this would have been fine, except that these guilds were about things that were against the things of God, and they were for things that were against God. So the pressure to sort of compromise and and conform would have been immense. Here's what it would have been expected of you if you wanted to sort of live and work in this city. If you wish to get ahead in this world, one author says, you must belong to a guild. And if you belong to a guild, your very membership implies that you worship its gods. You'll be expected to attend the guild festivals and to eat food, part of which is offered to the god and which you receive on your table as a gift for the god. And then when the feast ends and the real grossly immoral fun begins, you must not walk out unless you desire to become the object of ridicule and persecution. This was just the way things worked in the city that worked. So we know a little bit of of what it must have felt like to to live and uh, to follow Jesus in the city. But what, what I want us to see is that unlike all the other churches, the other six churches that Jesus writes to, Thyatira is the city that works. And with that, I think the most surprising verse in this letter falls neatly into place. Did you catch it when Dan read the letter uh, for us just a few minutes ago? Uh, We're used to sort of hearing it a different way. Jesus gives it to us another way. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end. No, Jesus says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. That word, works, is all over our passage this morning. Verse 19, I know your works. Verse 22, repent of her works. Verse 23, I will give to each of you according to your works. And then verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works. Works is is sort of the thing that we can hang all of the other things in this passage on this morning. So in verses 18 and 19, we see their good works. Jesus gives praise to them for these things, but then that praise turns to peril. In verses 20 through 25, we see the, the works that lead to ruin, that would ruin them. But then there at the end, peril turns to promise. In verses 26 through 28, we see the, the reward for keeping Jesus' works until the end. So that's where we're sort of heading for the rest of our time this morning. Praise, peril, and promise. First, uh, Jesus' praise. He commends this church for something. Look with me again at, at verses 18 and 19. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. I find it so encouraging to know that the one whose eyes are like flaming fire, 
the Son of God, the one who, who in verse 23 says, I am he who searches the mind and the heart that this Jesus sees good things in his people. He sees good things in you and me. Not just the bad and the ugly things. Some of us, and I will put myself at the top of the list, are way too good at finding the, the bad and the ugly things in each other before we celebrate the good things. But what if we took our lead from Jesus here? What would it look like if, if you and I were to, to celebrate evidences of God's grace at work in the lives of one another this week? Just give a few examples. Maybe, maybe you've noticed that that person in your community group who was really absent and just disinterested maybe in God a year ago is now, is now present and really hungry for the word. That's not normal. That's evidence of God's grace at work in their life. Or you see pockets of people quickly moving toward those in need around them and then caring for them. That's not normal. That's evidence of God's grace at work in your lives. That person you know who's quick to see the good in others and encourage the person with gospel truth, that's not normal. It's evidence of God's grace at work in their life. Someone comes to you and, and confesses some sin that they've been struggling with and just, just asks you, would you pray with me? Will you pray for me? That's not normal. That's evidence of God's grace at work in their life. That person who you know was just, just faithfully serving in Trinity Kids, and you know it's not, it's not a drag, but it's a joy for them to do that. that is, that's not normal. That is evidence of grace at work in their lives. The family who, who keeps inviting folks into their home, just sharing simple meals, that's not normal. That's evidence of God's grace at work in their lives. Your friend who's just gone through something really traumatic or devastating in their life, and in the midst of all the pain and sorrow, you see that their faith in Jesus is steady. Yeah, that's not normal. That's evidence of God's grace at work in their life. Now, maybe you've noticed a difference in your spouse lately. They're more gentle with their words, more patient with you and the kids, more interested in your needs than, than their own. That is not normal. That's evidence of God's grace at work in their life. We could, we could keep going on and on. There are so many, so many stories like this here at Trinity, here in this room. God is at work in your life and in the lives of those around you. So maybe could we follow together Jesus' lead and point out at least one evidence of grace in each other's life, maybe even today. Why not ask God even now to help you sort of slow down enough to see evidence of grace in the lives of those around you? Why not ask him to, to give you eyes to see where growth is already taking place 
where those around you are already growing up into Jesus. Why not ask God to help you celebrate this good thing with those that you see it in, too? Ask him to give you the courage to go to that person. Here's where I see evidence of God's grace at work in your life. Here's where I see you looking more and more like Jesus, and I'm really thankful for this. It's helping me to grow up into Jesus, too. Did you notice uh, what Jesus commends this little church for? Look again at verse 19. He says, I know your works. And then he says, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. Apparently, this church is growing in these things, too. Jesus says, I know that your latter works exceed the first. So Jesus, he sees and he celebrates these good things, these works of grace. He's saying, I love these things about you. Church, I love these things about you. Keep after these things. Those are the good works. What then are the works that lead to ruin? Well, we know what they were. That Jesus says in verse 22 that they were to repent of her works. So what were these, these works? Well, look again with me at verse 20. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Jezebel here is is symbolic. Uh, Jesus is is echoing back to one of the most uh, evil and wicked figures in Israel's past. Maybe, Maybe you know the story. In the days of Elijah, there was a king named Ahab. And Ahab was, was Israel's most wicked king up to that point. Evidently, King Ahab married a woman named Jezebel. She was the daughter of the king of the... I missed that word there. We're going to keep going. Together, uh, Ahab... And Jezebel lead God's people together, lead them to worship Baal. That's the important thing. They lead God's people to worship Baal. Jezebel was really cunning. She was a brutal queen. And her name became a a byword in Israel for sexual and uh, spiritual idolatry. The name Jezebel was not a name that you wanted to be associated with. Jesus is saying to this little church in Thyatira, there's there's a Jezebel in your midst. And she's luring, she's seducing some of you away from me. Look out. Watch out. Remember what Christians in Thyatira were up against. Uh, there, There was a way to sort of get ahead in life. But the path to peace with the culture was paved with the stones of little compromises. 
making a living, getting ahead in life meant that you had to sort of tolerate the wrong things. For Jezebel and her followers, this wasn't a problem. One author writes this. He says, Jezebel said, it's fine to compromise your sacred and your secular worlds. The thought was, if you're going to survive in this dog-eat-dog world, you're going to have to make some allowances. On occasions, you will have to compromise your convictions. That's not going to hurt anything. Jesus understands. He never expected that following Christ would be bad for business. Remember, you're free in Christ. Isn't the enemy still whispering this same lie today? I'm going to make it. If you're going to make it in this world, you're going to need to make some allowances. Once in a while, you're going to need to compromise your convictions. But don't worry. It's not going to hurt anything. And Jesus gets it too. He never expected that following him would cost you so much. So go ahead. Give in. After all, you're free in Christ. I have had a friend in college. Uh, his name was Ian. Uh, Ian and I were, were pretty tight in the early years. Uh, we ate lunches together. Would, uh, we'd take walks together. We'd talk about how, how we were growing in our faith, growing in our love for Jesus, and what, what it looked like to live out our faith. Eventually, I, I began to notice a change, changes in Ian uh, that really, really troubled me. We weren't talking about how we were sort of growing in faith anymore. We were talking about whether you could love Jesus and get trashed on the weekends and have sex with whoever you wanted to. And, and, and the list continued. One little compromise after one little compromise after one little compromise. I'll never forget the last walk uh, that he and I took together around the campus. He said, I, I, I cannot do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I am not a Christian anymore. Uh, there's a lie that the enemy of your soul has been whispering since the dawn of time. He's whispering it to you and me even now, and it goes something like this. Sin is safe. Sin is safe. A little compromise never killed anyone. Go ahead. Let loose. Give in. Jesus understands. He gets it. Listen, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that is safe about sin. Which leads us to sort of our big idea for this morning. We want to keep away from the things that will keep us away from Jesus. Church, we need to keep away from the things that keep us away from Jesus. Sin is safe, and you can have Christ, and you can have compromise. That is an illusion. It's a mirage. It promises life, but it only leads to ruin. 
Jesus, Jesus didn't leave heaven to come to earth and to take on flesh and die a brutal death on a rugged cross for you and me because sin is safe. Tolerating sin only leads to a ruined life, not a happy and whole life. Jesus loved us so much that he left heaven and he came to earth and he put on flesh and he walked among us and he lived the life that we couldn't live and he died the death that we deserve, a brutal death on that rugged cross in our place to save us from a life of ruin. I'm a compromiser. And I need Jesus. I treat sin like it's safe. I need Jesus. I need help. If you were with us at our, our mini-conference yesterday, uh, you may remember Ed, he, he shared a little prayer from Augustine. Uh, it went something like this. Light of my life, do not let the darkness speak to me. Light of my life, do not let the darkness speak to me. Maybe I'm taking this out of context. I don't know. But I want this to be my prayer. I want it to be our prayer in every season of life. Light of my life, do not let the darkness speak to me. Notice real quick before we move on how, how patient and merciful Jesus is. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I gave her, Jezebel, I gave her time to repent. Jesus, these are gracious words. Jesus is so patient. He is long-suffering. What does 2 Peter 3, 9 say? The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus is so patient, but he's also fiercely just. All the peoples in all the places, Jesus says in verse 23, will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. One author, he writes this, the only thing that will stop Jesus' feet from crushing you in judgment is his cross. This wooden cross can stop those bronze feet from trampling you to death if you put your faith in Christ and him crucified. Are you resting all of your hope in this man and that wooden cross? If not, I would love to speak with you after. Well, for those who, as Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, hold fast until the end and keep my works. What reward waits for them? Do you see that there in verses 26 and 28? I think this is the most amazing part of this passage. We get two promises. Jesus says, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the, the morning star. So Jesus, he's been given authority by the Father to rule over 
the nations. And in the end, he will give all of that authority to us, his people. These words are echoing back to Psalm 2. Not only will Jesus rule over the nations, we're going to conquer and we're going to reign and we're going to rule with Jesus too. But it gets much better than this. It gets so much better. Look at verse 28. He says, I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? Well, there's only, there's only one other place in Revelation that we get a glimpse of this morning star. Do you turn with me to chapter 22, verse 16. Revelation 22, verse 16. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is saying to Thyatira and to us, I am the morning star. In the end, you get me. In the end, you get me. And could there be anything better than this, Trinity? In the end, we get Jesus. Trevor's going to come now, and he's going to pray a prayer of application for us. Lord Jesus, help us, help us to recognize the mirage of um, compromise, help us to um, just beware and to see it for what it is, help us to know that there is no safety in sin, help us to not believe the lie that we can have Jesus and have the world. Um, I pray that you would give us the strength to Give us the eyes to recognize it and the strength to resist it when it comes and in whatever form it comes. Help us not to listen to false teachers and to the pull of the world, but to turn away from the world and to turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.